Shabbat Shalom, family. It's good to see everyone here today, in spite of the fact that there's a lot of uh, junk going around right now, and a lot of people are sick, and uh, I want to encourage you to keep everyone in your prayers, those that are sick among us, that we will all recover. So uh, hang in there. It's just the season that we're in, and, and let's just pray everyone through it um, while we go through it. So we're in our spiritual warfare series that began in the week of Halloween. And so we're going to continue this series and talk about spiritual warfare. I've entitled this teaching, Rebellion on Earth as it was in Heaven. Why? That's where it started. That's where rebellion started in heaven. And from that fall of those heavenly beings, it made its way into our world into creation itself. Genesis chapter 3. We all know the story of the serpent in the garden. Well, it made its way in. And our parents fell prey to that seduction. And they too became rebels. And every generation after that kind of fell into that. That's the nature of sin itself. Spiritual warfare is about repenting and coming out of rebellion and into an alignment with our Creator, our Father in Heaven. That's what spiritual warfare is all about. So the more we understand about what happened, the more we're able to identify that in our own lives and come out of it and into a relationship, a living, vibrant relationship with our Father who is the Creator of all things seen and unseen. So let's take a deeper look into the heavenly and earthly rebellions against God and why they are destined to be judged, destroyed, and removed. The Apostle Paul states in his epistle to the Ephesians that our real enemies are fallen spiritual beings in rebellion against God. Let's read that. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not Republicans against Democrats, right? Or capitalists against Marxists or whatever. Our warfare really is rooted in these fallen beings. They are spiritual beings. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places or spiritual realms. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm. So I want to encourage us to recognize where the real battle lies and to be overcomers in regards to that because we're all caught up in it. It touches all of our lives throughout our lives. These dark forces that Paul talks about have seduced humanity to also rebel against God and his ways. And we looked at Jude. We're going to look at that a little bit more. And I want to remind you too that some at some point, I'm going to get down to the armor of God and how we can employ that 
and be effective in our warfare. So I will get there, okay, in 30-minute chunks, week after week after week. So hang in there. So Jude talks about this. Jude is one of those authors that connects the spiritual rebellion in the heavenlies with our earthly rebellion here. They're connected. They're interrelated. They're not independent of each other. They're actually interconnected. And speaking about earthly rebels, Jude declares in, one, in his uh, uh, letter in verse 11, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned them, themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Take note that Jude lists Korah's rebellion as one of his analogies of rebellion and what it looks like. So let's take a closer look at Korah's rebellion in order to better understand the dynamics so that we can see if any of that is in operation in our lives so that we can come out of that junk and escape the judgment of God that always comes after it in every generation. Numbers chapter 16, it's a fascinating story. It's one of those stories that has a lot of supernatural aspects to it. It says, verse 1, Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses. This phrase, rose up, really means to rise against. That, that in the Hebrew, the idea is to come against. So they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs, 250 leaders, 250 influencers. They gathered some of the top cream of the crop leaders in rising up against Moses. Who is Moses? The one that God appointed and anointed to lead Israel. And of course, his brother Aaron, who's the high priest. So you have the civil authority and the religious authority whom God appointed to lead Israel. And they're coming up against them. 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men, influencers. Verse 3, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Who are you to take positions over us? We are your equals. How dare you assert yourself over us? We too are made in the image of God. We too are Israel. God's among us too. They were opposed to hierarchy. They were opposed to delegated authorities. They saw themselves as authorities equal with all other authorities. We call this an egalitarian form of government where everyone has the same authority as each other. No one rules over each other. Everyone is equal and the same. When Moses heard this, 
he fell on his face. And he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show you who is his, who is holy, and will bring him near to him. One whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all his company, put fire in them, put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow, and the man whom the Lord chooses to be holy shall be the holy one. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. They challenged Moses. They challenged his authority. They said, we're not going to submit to you. You're not over us. We're your equals. You've, you've gone too far in asserting yourself over us. Moses says, no, you've gone too far trying to seek the priesthood. You, you want to be priests? Get your censers. Get some coal. The things the priests do, right? We're going to have a showdown tomorrow. And we'll let God decide who's who in terms of his hierarchy. Verse 11. Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. This is interesting. Moses says, your gripe is not with delegated authority. Your gripe is actually with the Lord. We didn't delegate ourselves. We didn't put ourselves in these places of authority. God did. Your gripe is with God, not us. And what is Aaron that you grumble against him? Why are you grumbling against Aaron too? This really is an issue between you and the Lord, for he is the one who has delegated us as authorities. We covered this last week in Romans 13, or Romans chapter 1, no, Romans 13, verses 1 and 2, where Paul says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. The seduction in the garden is, what? God's not over you. You're made in his image. You're equal to him. You can be like him. He hasn't told you, but you eat of that tree and you'll be just like him. You'll be his co-equal. Yeah, that appeals to human nature. We all want to be our own God. We all want to just make decisions based on who we are. We don't want to answer to anyone. Why? We ourselves are royals. We ourselves are kings and queens. We don't answer to anyone. There's a streak of that in our American culture, by the way, based on our revolution. You know, in the beginning, we have this rugged individualism. And really, to be frank with you, sometimes that just goes too far. So God here is saying, I have created, I'm the ultimate authority, and I have delegated authorities that I, I, I have desired that everyone would submit to and follow. They're having a problem with that. And now they're going to have an answer from God. God's going to clarify this. Verses, well, let's go to verse 12. It says, Then Moses sent to call Dathan and, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, we will not come up. Moses says, I'm summoning a meeting. And I'm, I'm asking you to come. Now, as their authorities, what should the response be? Yes, I'll be there. You know, 
If you have an employer and you work for somebody, when they summon you to a meeting, you, you don't say, no, I'm not coming because you have no right to summon a meeting. Who are you to think you're over me? Fired! Which is not a big deal because we get all this unemployment. I don't, it just doesn't work the same for us. But if you didn't have any unemployment, you probably wouldn't say those things to your boss. You know, I, I was in the union for 20 years. I worked as a blue-collar worker for 20 years before I answered the call to ministry. And uh, I was in the union. You know, I think the Arlo Guthrie song uh, kind of said it well. I'm in the union. I'm in the union. What is he talking about? He's talking about being fired. He says, you can't fire me. I'm in the union. Yeah, you can't get fired. When you're in a union job, it's almost impossible to be fired. Except for one thing. Insubordination. In, that's the only thing. Our union official said, hey, you have to do what your employer tells you to do. We can fight. We can file grievances. But just do what they're telling you to do. Because if you don't, we can't help you. Insubordination is the foundational reason for an employer to fire an employee. Isn't that interesting? I think that's interesting. We all answer to authorities, and we're all in authority over others. We share in that. That's just the way it is. But it's important for all of us to recognize that authority is important. We need to learn how to respond to it, and that the issue with authority is really an issue with God, not the authorities. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you don't struggle like I, I, I do. I don't really struggle anymore as much. But when I was young, I told you a couple weeks ago, man, I hated authorities. I, I really, in, in any authority figure, it was just, you know, a big conflict with me because of things that had happened in my past. And God had to really open my eyes and to understand the blessing of authority and how authority works and how to relate to authority to set my heart free from that. And I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad he did. So, they summoned them, or Moses summons them, and they said, we're not going to come up. Verse 13, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you must also make yourself a prince over us? It's bad enough that you got us into the problem that we're currently in. (laughs) The problem that they're in is of their own doing. God had delivered them out of slavery. They were free men and free women, and they were such rebels that they end up in the wilderness in a tough place. But even that tough place is nothing like being a slave in Egypt. But yet they're griping and complaining, and Moses is saying, careful, because really these indictments are against God, not even me. Do you realize what you're saying and doing? They said, yeah, it's bad enough. You brought us to this place. And now you're going to be a Lord over us? You're, you're going to take the position that you have authority over us? Ain't going to happen. Moreover, you have brought, not brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? No, we will not come up. Insubordination is intolerable and begs for judgment. Remember King Saul, the first king of Israel? You know, he lost his kingdom due to rebellion. God had given him such privilege, such responsibilities, such provision. 
And he was such a rebel, always disobeying the Lord, doing his own thing. And God finally said, that's it, Saul. I'm taking away your kingdom. In essence, he was saying, fired. I'm firing you as king over Israel. Even though I put you in, fired for insubordination. I want to read this. 1 Samuel 15, 23. Describing Saul's rebellion, this is what the Lord said. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, the tie-in, of course, to spiritual forces and spiritual works. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. Back to our story with Korah. And Moses, verse 15, was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them. I have not harmed one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company, before the Lord, you and they, and Aaron tomorrow, and let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers, you also, and Aaron, each his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in them, laid incense on them, and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Korah and his leaders, his influencers, turned all of Israel against their authorities. Here comes the showdown. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation, and the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you will be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They intercede right away. They recognize that the people are people. They're sheep. They're easily influenced. The leaders know better. And they say, God, please, spare the sheep. Have mercy on the sheep. So God says, okay, I'm going to spare the sheep. But not the leaders. Not these rogue leaders. He says, you have them separate themselves from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Again, rebellion is like a contagion. It's communicable. It must be traced like a deadly virus. Social distancing is required. Maybe this is where we got social distancing. I don't know. But he's saying to all the children of Israel, get some distance between you and these rebel leaders, man. You, you need to get away, right? Because he's going to remove them and their rebellion from the congregation. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where we have this person in the community that's just insisting on sinning in, in a really grievous way. He has his stepmom. He's living with his stepmom. He's in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. And he's refusing to repent, and the congregation's allowing it. And Paul says, hey, what are you, what are you doing? This is like leaven. It's going gonna, it's gonna to impact the entire congregation and set things in motion towards this direction. So Moses, or, or Paul, like Moses, says, remove this person from your midst. Get him out. 
Back to our story, verse 25. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. Rebellion is the fruit of pride. It's rooted in pride. The enemy, the serpent, was full of pride. He thought he could do a better job than God. So he tried to gather a bunch of angels and, and, and pull a coup d'etat and overthrow God and then take the rule and reign over what God had created. That is, that is in essence, what had happened in the heavenlies. It's rooted in pride. And you can see these men here. They're convinced they're right. They're convinced God's going to move on their behalf. They got out there with their, their wives and their kids. They're just standing there with their chests their chest puffed out. And, and they honestly think Moses is in for a rude awakening. And Moses is saying, no, you're in for a rude awakening. And all the congregation, you know, they're just kind of watching, saying, what's going to happen, right? Man, I, I don't know about you. That's pretty intense. Moses, he could lose everything too, right? Maybe Moses is wrong. Maybe they're right. The people were certainly confused over who's right. Are we all equals? Or is there a possibility that we're equal in worth and dignity, but not equal in role and function? Ah, oh, it's so complicated. What are we going to do? You know, I, I play poker with fake money, not real money. But I act like it's real money so I can have that experience. And then realize, ah, I didn't really lose anything because I always lose which is God's way of making sure I never play with real money. I don't know. So I'm playing poker, playing poker with, with my family. You know, we got all our chips out there, and we're just really having a great time, hours and hours, back and forth, the money shifting and changing. And then all of a sudden, invariably, at some point in the evening, one of my family members, I won't tell you who it is, you probably know, one of my family members just all of a sudden pushes all the chips to the center. He takes every one of his chips. I know it's the end of the night. I know it's because... You know, this is what happens invariably. He pushes it all in, and he's either going to win everything or he's going to lose everything, right? And that's the way it is. And here they are. And now this game is set, and lives are at stake, and all the chips are pushed to the center. Verse 31. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart. I mean, Moses comes up with this. If something unusual happens, like, let me see, an earthquake, the earth opens up, you all fall in, and then it closes. I'm th where did he even put, did he just pull that out of his hat? But whatever he came up with, for whatever reason, God says, I'll do that. And this collaboration between God and his delegated authorities 
caused that to happen. Can you imagine everyone there witnessing that? Imagine how frightening that would have been. Could you, could you imagine if you were in their camp, you know, slipping as the earth is opening up and shifting, and on that loose ground, losing your foot and starting to slide as you roll over and try to hold onto the earth, and you're going in. And all of this is taking place. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their household and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods so that they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol. And the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Shrieks, death cries, the sound of the earth splitting. And then all of a sudden it closes up and it's total silence. You know, the, the, I, I bet everyone just stopped themselves. I, I, you probably could hear a pin drop. It's like, what just happened? And where are they? It's like, it's like, I think that's one of the greatest stories I've ever read. That's a great story. There's a lot of great stories, but that is an amazing story. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallows us up. And fire, <laughs> just when you think it's over, right? It can't get any worse. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. The 250 influencers who influenced the congregation in their gripes and complaints against Moses and Aaron now we're consumed in a ball of fire. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, to take up the censers out of the blaze, then scatter the fire far and wide, for they have become holy. The word holy means to be separated for a particular purpose or use. And God's saying, they all wanted to be holy, and now they are. The 250 that wanted to be holy, now are holy. Set them apart. Take their censers that represent them and make them holy. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, for they offered them before the Lord, and they became holy. Thus they shall be assigned to the people of Israel. So Eliezer the priest took the bronze censers, which those who burned had offered, and they were hammered out as a covering for the altar to be a reminder to the people of Israel so that no outsider who is not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest he become like Korah and his company as the Lord had said to him through Moses. A reminder that there's hierarchy in the kingdom and that all authority comes from the Most High God. And to buck authority is to buck him. To rebel against authority on earth 
is to rebel against authority in heaven. And I've already explained to you that when authorities go wrong and they ask you to do something that violates the word of God, God allows you to disobey. I'm not talking about the exception to the rule. What I'm talking about is disobeying authorities when we have no basis to disobey. We just do it because we're rebels. We do it because we can. That's a dangerous thing. Rebellion says the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is treason against the king and his kingdom. It's a war against God himself. There are no perfect authorities. All authorities fall short of perfection. But that's not a reason to rebel against authority. We're not perfect either. All rebellion does is result in our own pain and misery, sometimes even our premature deaths. Keep in mind, it's akin to the spiritual realm of witchcraft and idolatry. It originates in the realms of darkness. Back to Jude. Back to Jude. Speaking of rebels on earth, he says this, specifically related to congregations. These arrogant rebels are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. They have no fear of authority. They don't fear anyone. They're rogue. They're, they're, like, they're like on their own. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn. Twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea. Casting up the foam of their own shame. Verse 13. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. I want us to keep that slide up, if you will. I want us to focus on this. This is where Jude constantly moves from the natural realm to the spiritual realm, back to the natural realm, back to the spiritual realm, as he connects the heavenly rebellion with rebellion on earth, because they're interrelated. He shifts and says, they're just wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Where is that ever in reference to humans on earth? You know, this is, this is out of Enoch, the book of Enoch. This is a reference to the fallen beings in Genesis 6. They are the stars. The angels are referred to as stars. Divine beings are referred to in the scriptures as stars. He's talking about the heavenly rebellion now. He shifts from the earthly to the heavenly, and he'll go back and forth. But he's talking about wandering stars. Yeah. These are in reference to the fallen gods. In Genesis 6, the fallen sons of God in Genesis 6. Let me give you one passage. Job 38, verses 4 through 7. And this is one of many passages that describe immortal heavenly beings metaphorically as stars. Speaking to Job, he says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched out the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Verse 7. When the morning stars sang together 
and all the sons of God shouted for joy. This is Hebrew poetry. This particular piece of, of, of literature is called Hebrew parallelism, where you say the same thing twice, you just state it differently, but it has the same meaning. Stars don't sing, in case you're wondering. I know in Colorado it's legal. Sometimes you can hear the stars, but they're really not singing. This is a reference to these divine beings who sat as the council of God, the divine council of God. When the morning stars sang together, talking about these beings singing in, in worship to God, and all the sons of God, referencing the stars, also being called sons of God, and the sons of God being referred to as stars, shouted for joy. Jude here, Jude here is describing the fate of the fallen Elohim and tying it into rebellion on earth. He's going to make the case that all rebels, be they in the heavenly realm or on the earthly realm, they all suffer the same fate. This is part of the spiritual warfare that Paul's trying to clue us into. This is what Paul's trying to help us with so that we don't fall into these mistakes, these areas of sin, end up alienated from God. So I'll pick this up next week. We'll fo focus more on the Jude passage in Genesis 6, and then we'll make some applications and move further into um, Ephesians and the armor of God. That's all I got for today. Shabbat shalom.